Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. There's been a lot of talk about gyms lately. Depending on where you live, your gym may have closed, then opened, then closed again during the second wave of COVID-19. A big coronavirus outbreak that infected dozens of people was recently tracked back to the Spinco Fitness Studio in Hamilton, Ontario, even though the operators had taken COVID precautions. At the same time, several gym owners in COVID hotspots argue that not all fitness facilities pose the same risk. Plus, we know exercise is key to staying physically and mentally healthy during these stressful times. So today on The Dose, we're asking, is it safe to go to my gym or exercise class? To help answer that, my guest is Dr. Zane Chagla. He's an infectious diseases specialist at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton and an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University. Hi, Dr. Chagla. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, thanks for having me. You work in Hamilton, so I'm sure you heard about the outbreak that stemmed from the Spinco studio there. What went through your mind when you heard about that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, our, our town has done relatively well in terms of uh, COVID numbers. There's, there's certainly been issues, but uh, we've never really had one of these large super spreader events in the community. And as we started seeing the numbers grow and grow and grow, uh, it was it was becoming very apparent that this was a, a significant event, and uh, unfortunately, not only had consequences for Spinco itself, but it, you know, seeded into other parts of our community, into a restaurant outbreak, into some uh, workers that work in healthcare, into schools, uh, and it it was just a, a really classic example of how one event can have such rippling downstream effects uh, into a, a single community. So speaking as an infectious disease specialist, there were some red flags. What makes a spin class risky for transmitting COVID-19 based on what we know now? So uh, as we know, most of the transmission that occurs in COVID-19 is through close contact and respiratory droplets uh, and, and aerosols. Uh, Meaning that usually in the right context where ventilation is reasonable, it's not crowded. Again, it requires a significant amount of contact, usually somewhere over 15 minutes uh, in, in the context of face-to-face and those large droplets that are generally driving the infection. As we're discovering more and more and more though, as some of those criteria change, as ventilation gets poorer, as crowding gets higher, um, as people are singing and yelling, you may get much more transmission. You may also get much more of small droplets and aerosols where uh, gravity isn't necessarily the dependent nature here, where you're essentially generating an amount that can be inhaled by multiple people all at once growing and growing and growing. And, and this may be an example of one of these events where that was the major mechanism of spread and, and why such a large number of people acquired the virus after you know, a relatively short exposure. It's so interesting, you know, that enthusiasm that you're talking about, that enthusiastic yelling is all about getting people charged up and continuing to exercise and not quitting. 
and that can actually contribute to a super spreader event, can't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, we saw this at the beginning. It, you know, there were a couple of examples, particularly in a church group in the Washington state area where uh, a significant number had been infected with an event where as much as we had those geographical limits, which still apply to most interactions in society at two meters, you know, there was definitely uh, uh, more than two meters that were involved in this event. And again, that high pitched uh, singing and yelling and, and even heavy breathing may have just increased the aerosol concentrations here and led to, uh, yeah, an environment where where two meters wasn't enough and it, it just grew. And, and unfortunately, the Spinco outbreak maybe is part of that too as well. That studio was apparently following guidelines and operating at about half capacity to allow for proper physical distancing. Why wasn't that enough? A number of reasons. I mean, I think this is this is a good example where ventilation may be a, a very important part of how we control the disease. And so we know in our first wave that hospitals weren't necessarily the hotbed of disease from patients to staff. It was more staff to staff. And one of the more protective nature was the ventilation systems in the hospital. We had good air exchanges, whereas the Spinco uh, facility is, you know, typical air exchanges. It's a business along a, a strip plaza. And so, you know, they may not have as much ventilation. Number two is this is one of the few industries where wearing a mask is optional while exercising. And so uh, even in this context of, of the small aerosols that are leading to likely transmission in this case, masking is still an incredibly effective intervention to prevent that behavior. And so there have probably been many other events in many other settings where the same conditions held, but because of our societal rules, masking probably did offer some benefit there. Whereas here, uh, it, it didn't as, a, as again, people were unmasked other than when they were entering the class and when they were exiting the class. So I think those are the big two that may have contributed to this being such a, a spreader event. Do all types of fitness classes carry the same level of risk? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think this was the, the perfect storm. You had a class where there was heavy breathing, where people were about two meters apart. So there's, you know, there was distancing, but it may not be as optimal. And you had the ventilation not being the most adequate. You know, is, is this going to happen in every fitness class? Probably not. If you increase distancing, if you really considered what ventilation is appropriate, anything from, you know, the, the very expensive air purifier systems, to even something as simple as having all the doors and windows open so fresh air is coming in. Uh, and then considering the masking during classes, I think you could relatively do these things safely. But in the absence of all of those, it does create a perfect storm for an event like this to happen. Some small group fitness studios have argued that they're different from gyms and therefore safer. They're more like dance studios. Do you see any distinction? I mean, there wasn't a lot different in, in terms of, you know, the cycling versus dancing versus, uh, you know, another fitness activity in, in close proximity as a class, like uh, some of the circuit training. I think it's, it's simply, again, a matter of, again, the ventilation, the ability to mask and the ability to, to compensate for distance. And again, in these settings where the ventilation isn't great and you have crowds, two meters may not just be enough. So if you have a dance studio where people are more than two meters apart, and now in our rules to open up spin in facilities like it, we're talking about three meters, 
but also incorporating masks and also incorporating ventilation standards, yes, I think you could operate even a spin class effectively, but a dance studio uh, or some other uh, fitness class where people are in contact and, and following an instructor. How about a yoga studio? Yeah, similar concepts. I mean, I don't recall yoga being a fairly loud activity and, and an instructor yelling at you. So uh, I assume the amount of aerosols and, and droplets that are generated during a calm yoga session are pretty minimal. But again, similarly, I, I think if you deal with those standards, it, it definitely does help with, uh, with reducing the risk. The dose is all about smart advice, which means evidence-based advice. And this week in Quebec, some gym owners are protesting and asking for data linking their facilities to outbreaks. So how much do we actually know about transmission in gyms and exercise classes? Yeah, it, it's a good question. So, the, so there's definitely been transmission in, in workers in some facilities. However, that's skewed data in the sense that they could have very well gotten the infection from interacting outside of the fitness class, interacting either socially or uh, in a break room or that type of thing. You know, we are seeing some examples in the Canadian literature of fitness classes where there were transmission. Spinco is probably the biggest one to date. There was a cycling class as well in Calgary that saw about 40 cases generated from it. So, you know, they are at risk. The problem is, and the double-edged sword of this, is if you don't have the data in a particular context or a particular geographical area, the argument can be made that, you know, we can do this safely. But as we see rates increasing in the community and we see lapses happening even in, in well-run businesses, you know, is it just a matter of time before something happens in one of those settings in the absence of data? Or do we give those settings a you know, example with inspections and audits just to make sure that things roll safely. So again, the, the data here suggests we could do these things safely, but if lapses are made, if things aren't appropriate, and, and as we, if we don't take the advice from prior outbreaks, uh, then we could be leading into a situation where this happens again, and the probabilities go up in those areas of the country that are seeing wide-scale transmission. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. On the spectrum of risk, how does going to the gym compare to going to a restaurant or going to a gathering with friends indoors? Yeah, so I mean, again, COVID doesn't really uh, distinguish between what you're doing. It really distinguishes about those big features. So what is the ventilation like? How many people are in that room? And particularly the risk going up as more people go in the room. What's the distancing like in that environment? And who's sick going into that environment? And what's the way that we protect sources from shedding droplets and aerosols into the environment? So restaurants and particularly indoor restaurants are a very hard thing because you have establishments where ventilation can be all over the place. You have tables of people that are, you know, separated from other tables by two meters, but not separated within the table by two meters. And you have different groups of people coming together 
and masks are down while people are eating. And so that makes it very difficult to, to say that that's a low risk environment, certainly from the data in the United States for people that had no contact uh, that they know of with COVID-19 where, where they were associated with eating at restaurants two to three times more than uh, other populations. Gyms in the spectrum of things, you know, there are more controls that can be put into place to make this work. So if you have a gym that is very crowded, you know, people aren't wearing masks appropriately, yes, there is going to be an increased risk there. And similar to what we see in restaurants and bars, if you have a gym that's doing good crowd control, that's minimizing aerosol production, that's ventilated well, and people are wearing masks, it's at a different level. It's probably the same as going to a grocery store, which is relatively accepted as safe with these controls in place. Uh, and then, you know, similarly, an indoor gathering, it really depends on how things are structured. And it, it could go very poorly and it could go very well, depending on, again, those things. Uh, crowding, ventilation, masking, and distancing more than anything else. Except, of course, uh, the people who are congregating in gyms are panting. Uh, presumably, they're not doing that in other indoor environments like, like the grocery store or restaurant. No, fair enough. But again, in the, the context of not wearing a mask, I think that certainly does create a, another risk. Uh, and, and, uh, and certainly what we saw in things like uh, Spinco, but if you add to that the, the addition of wearing a mask, you might blunt a lot of that aerosol spread. I think we've seen all these videos online of people sneezing, coughing, breathing hard with a mask on, looking under ultraviolet light or doing photo imaging of aerosols. And that significant blunting effect of having a mask on in front of it. So unfortunately, you know, some of the rules to, uh, to open up gyms uh, have not really incorporated mask use during exercise. But if gyms are to remain open, that's going to be a critical feature of it because of that exertional component of going to the gym. So that we're clear here, crystal clear here, if you happen to live in a region where gyms are still open, the questions that you should be asking uh, to determine, relatively speaking, whether or not it's safe, are they adhering to mask uh, rules? Um, is it well ventilated? Are, you know, are they opening windows? Is there proper physical distancing? Are there any other things that people should be asking about if they're deciding whether or not it's safe for them to go to the gym in those regions where gyms are still open? I think the other two big pieces are, are they doing aggressive symptom screening of people coming in just to make sure that they're not allowing people that are symptomatic to come in the facilities? And are they doing a good job at making sure that people are registering when they come into the gym such that if there is an event in the worst case scenario, Will you be contacted such that you don't propagate and spread the infection within your own community? What about if they hold classes outside? It does decrease the risk. I mean, I, I think one of the, the big things about the spring and summertime and, and certainly data from multiple meta-analysis show that the risk of transmission is significantly reduced outside. It's not zero, uh, and I think as we saw with the Rose Garden in the United States, when you're essentially throwing away physical distancing uh, and you're getting very, very close or even in physical contact with uh, other people repeatedly, you are going to still have events that, that predispose to the transmission of COVID-19. But if you're incorporating spacing with the ventilation, that's essentially the best ventilation outside, uh, 
yes, you're you're able to do that effectively. And I think we've we've had great examples of this in in society. For those who live in Toronto, you know, the Active TO campaign was a a huge success in getting people outdoors, but still keeping things relatively safe amongst people as long as they were adhering to those distancing and uh, personal protection precautions. So what's your recommendation on whether people should be going to exercise classes or not right now? So, you know, nothing in society is going to be zero risk. So I think number one is, you know, what is your vulnerability to COVID? Are you able to accept low risk? And and certainly if you're, you know, elderly, have chronic medical conditions, perhaps the indoor gym setting is not the setting for you. There are still other ways to exercise that don't involve that setting. But if you are willing to accept a low risk, uh, I think it's reasonable to consider it. Find a facility where you're comfortable with the precautions, knowing the big things, that people are distanced appropriately, uh, that people are signing in appropriately, they're screened appropriately, the ventilation is adequate. Make sure that people are actually auditing these practices. Uh, I think there, there is an ability to do this. Uh, again, recognizing that even though the rules say that the mask should only be worn in common areas, that you should consider wearing the mask throughout your workout. And similarly, looking at facilities that that policy is highly encouraged, if not required, as part of their facility. And and finally, uh, health experts have emphasized the importance of exercise, not just for our physical health, but for our mental health. I run 10K three times a week, and I can tell you without it, I'd be a mess. You know, clearly, though, running is not for everyone. So what are some alternatives to the gym that people can consider? Yeah, I mean, you know, running outdoors, is, as you said, biking outdoors. And I think we saw an explosion of this during the summertime where bikes were almost hard to find and the bike repair shops were, were super busy. You know, casual walks, uh, you know, it's probably the time of year, especially if you're going to consider doing outdoor exercise, to actually invest in outdoor coats and, and boots just to make sure that you're able to continue doing outdoor exercise in that context. You know, if you if you look on YouTube, there are tons of home or apartment exercise videos using not only just simple weights, but even simple things around the house. Um, uh, there's tons of uh, online yoga workouts, uh, you know, the, the fitness community around things like, uh, indoor cycling has also increased using virtual context. So there's a lot of innovation in this space for people to, in their own individual environments, indoors to, to work out. Uh, and then also again, in the outdoors, enjoying some of the, the, the outdoor activities of the winter time, like cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, and hiking, where, where they may offer some very low-risk activities during the winter and also offer some activities that we can actually socialize while doing, while we're distancing with people too. So to kind of both deal with the physical component, but also that social component, all of us are lacking. What do you like to do to get exercise during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a small gym in our place, so I think that's been kind of my source of just blowing off some steam while, you know, putting on some music and, and doing some weights. We have a small daughter, so, you know, walking, taking her for walks and taking her to the playground and chasing her around is probably a significant amount of the exercise I do during the day. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, going for walks on the weekend has been just a nice 
de-stressing activity, walking on the trails and particularly around the Golden Horseshoe, some of the, the fantastic sites that I think people don't know about, like the waterfalls in Hamilton, are, uh, are really relaxing and, and really encouraging activities too. So uh, yeah, those have been my, my go-tos and they've been, as you said, incredible stress release amongst a very stressful time. Well, uh, Dr. Zane Chagla, thank you for reducing our stress about gyms and thank you for joining me on The Dose. No problem. All the best. You too. Stay safe. That was Dr. Zane Chagla, an infectious disease specialist at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton and an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University. Here's your dose of smart advice. Getting regular exercise is always important, but is even more critical during the pandemic for dealing with stress and staying fit. Depending on the circumstances, gym classes can increase the risk of spreading COVID-19 and have been at times the site of super spreader events. Depending on where you live, indoor exercise classes may or may not be permitted, so follow the guidelines where you are. If they're permitted, make sure you go to a gym that screens patrons at the door and follows safe practice guidelines. That means you should wear a mask and be physically distant from other exercisers. To increase ventilation, the doors and windows should be open. There should be no yelling during class because that increases the volume and distance of droplet spread. Exercise machines and other touch surfaces need to be disinfected after each person. Where feasible, outdoor gym classes are preferable because the ventilation is much better outdoors. The gym operators should audit their infection control practices to make sure they're sticking to the guidelines. Getting exercise is really important. I know it's getting colder, but you don't have to go to a gym to stay fit. Explore your own community. You might find some beautiful scenery close by. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC White Coat with the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Lauda Antonelli for her technical expertise. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.